yoga cult? We thought it was an organization that was changing the world through yoga because the yoga felt so amazing and that's what the methodology was supposed to help us do. But the deeper we got in, the more indoctrinated we became. We've learned a lot since then about manipulation, coercion, abuse of power, and undue influence. Be a yes. Don't even get me started. And we're going to share that with you here. Super casual style, not fancy. It's just us and our opinions and true stories. We are allowed to speak our truth. And we hope this helps you and anyone else listening out there. Hi, everybody. We are super excited for you to hear today's episode with our friend Eva Sedgwick. And there's a few things that have come up since we recorded this episode that we wanted to discuss because I think we think that they are quite relevant. And um, the thing being that it was brought to our attention that the Baptist Institute has created a new waiver of liability, confidentiality, encompasses a lot. What would you all say is, is covered there? Well, first of all, the fact that Eva is an an attorney and the conversation that you're about to hear is all about this legal stuff that Mm -hmm. she clarifies for us as an attorney and a former Baptiste yoga teacher. And she did it Mm -hmm. also on the Baptiste yoga truth um, Instagram page seven months ago. She outlined all of these Mm -hmm. things and many of these things have now been added to this new policy, which was, it was, it was almost like reading comedy to read through this long, yeah. long It's long. so fascinating, right? Well, all the things like, that she points out, like non-disclosures agreements don't apply so that they adjusted now, Baptiste seems to have adjusted their policies so that now they can, uh, they can actually make these non-disclosures be more threatening. She specifically mentions arbitration, um, arbitration clause. Yes. Yes. I'll add. Yes. It's here's so here's the thing. It's like we this really makes us know that they're listening, right. and they have a huge opportunity here to apologize to do better. Like so many options, and then just like in the Me Too time when they started having girlfriends such sign confidentiality agreements. Their action that they have chosen to take is to upgrade their ability to silence people versus actually trying to do better by people. Right, right. Like you said in the, um, wait, what did you say? Just say the arbitration clause. So the arbitration, if there's no arbitration clause, it has to go public in front of a court, which makes Baptiste or and or Baron look worse. But if they add an arbitration clause, it has to be behind closed doors and nobody has to know. So that makes, you know, it puts the the victim or the person who's, you know, speaking out at a disadvantage, right? Because they have to then spend legal fees and cannot then uh, be public. It's crazy. Yeah. This is is worth a read. It's I like I just want to say anyone out there listening, um, who have ever it's like you're still after listening to all of our episodes, if you're still considering doing anything with Baptiste Yoga, and you don't read through this, 
I like, I just highly recommend you go read through their new terms and conditions. It's on their websites. We'll, we'll put a link in our show notes to it so that you can read through it. It is, I, I am almost at a loss Mm -hmm. for anyone that reads through this deeply and then signs it. I, I just am kind of like, wow, wow. I can't believe anyone would agree to doing anything with them after reading through their terms and conditions. And the way you may feel in your like, body, the way you may feel in your body after reading that, trust that that's what a red flag oh, feels like. Also, uh, the biggest thing I want to point out, right? They are a, a yoga company claiming to train yoga teachers. Yeah. So go down, like read through all of it. But then if you're like, I want to become a yoga teacher, and I'm going to go do it through Baptiste yoga. You need to read through the part that says certifications and disclaimer about an accreditation body. Right. So because we talked about that too, this, right? Yes. It literally says the content of this is offered on your personal use and information purposes only. And you And it does not make you eligible for a certification by any governing or accreditation body to teach yoga. So if they're selling this to you as a being able to become a yoga teacher, they're literally then stating in their terms and conditions, but you're not eligible for any kind of certification or accreditation to actually teach yoga. So like, Please, people, read through this. This yeah. is so fucking okay. fucked up. I wanna, there's another part I want to point out that's new is there's a confidentiality agreement in your agreement to participate in programs. You have to be confidential. This is a huge red flag yes. for anyone participating. Like every cult has some kind of confidentiality. Don't tell. And this isn't about like, you know, valid confidentiality like um i'm going to read a short part here i understand that i will not repeat anything or refer to anyone anything anyone or refer to anything anyone participating in the program says here so you can't talk about what anyone in the program says and here's another one and i think this is might be dedicated towards us I will not publish, broadcast, post to social media or disclose or assist another person or organization in publishing, broadcasting, or disclosing the identity, likenesses, or actual or paraphrased comments of other participants in the program, staff, people who assist, and people who lead the program during and after the program. You can't talk about it anywhere, anything that happened in the program. So this basically is like, you can't even leave a bad review. Like let's say you went to the program, went on to Google and said, said, this, that like, you can't, this is basically trying to keep you from even leaving a bad review about them, which is your first amendment right in the constitution. Yeah. They're basically trying to tell you, you can't do that, which is right. Which they have will no he- legal, like none no of legal this will basis actually for it. hold up. 
Like yeah. in my having talked to many lawyers and then in our Facebook group, a lawyer even commented and said there, I, even though I'm not a lawyer in Utah, I don't know how any of this would actually ever hold up in court. Yeah. yeah. And it's again, it's to scare, it's to scare people because they're good at scaring yeah. people into silence. They always have been good at scaring people into silence. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there are people who assign this that, you know, will later be like, oh shit, I signed that. I realize what I'm involved in. I want to say something. Um, I would just say, you know, a friend that's an attorney have have them look it over because you know having mm-hmm. each had friends who are attorneys look over things that we've signed and they've been like nah you're good if you're if yeah. you're speaking the truth mm-hmm. telling your experience and your own okay. opinion you're allowed and to your even opinion. tell your own opinion which is what mm-hmm. we do here and anyone out there still involved in baptiste if they are having you re-sign an, this agreement please think twice just like from my heart, please think twice about this. You know, because Eva talks about it this. It's not she... designed. It's not designed for for you. No, it's not designed to support you. It's clearly designed to protect one person and only one person. And an organization that needs feels the need to protect themselves against people publishing. Most organizations like this want you to publish stuff, right? Like, what is there to hide there that you don't, yeah, like that you they, go through want- these lengths that you don't want people broadcasting, publishing, or posting on social media? Yeah, like most companies, that's about what you what's want, going on, right? Exactly. Like, you want it shared, you want it broadened, you want exactly. but they want it all kept behind. They want it all kept secret. Yeah. But I then like there's a clause in there. Not being able to sign up as someone that you're not and participate as someone that you're not right like, I, right I was like I hadn't thought of doing that but that'd be pretty funny to get. oh no that's a legit good idea and I think like it would be a good thing for a journalist to do if they haven't already I think I'm sure there's probably a journalist infiltrating already yeah as there should be yeah so so be so be good yeah yeah, yeah, be careful. Um, no, seriously, but Eva, thank goodness for Eva's uh, advice here, taking the the intimidation out of it just by letting us know what's really enforceable and yes. and what's actually just bullying techniques. And so she does a great job of it here. She offers her personal assistance and she's gone through a lot of trouble to find some pro bono. In other words, free attorneys to help anyone who needs uh, representation because of mm-hmm. speaking out, speaking out about Baptiste yoga. Thank you, Eva. Please enjoy yeah. the episode. Yeah. Welcome to Journey into Yoga Cults. The views and opinions expressed on Journey into Yoga Cults are just that, views and opinions, and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the podcast or hosts. Stories told by hosts and guests are their own personal experiences, viewpoints, and perspective. Any content provided by our hosts, guests, sponsors, or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, institution, corporation, business, individual, anyone, or anything. Welcome, Rachel. Welcome, Shelly. We have a special guest with us today that I'm super excited to talk to. Me too. Um, 
Yes, yes. So um, who we have with us today is is my friend and somebody who has personal huge support for me over the last year, and I know through me for for many others over the last year, even longer now. And I'm so excited to have her and her expertise um, on to share with you. So without further ado, I will introduce Eva Sedgwick. Eva is an associate professor of business law in the Albers School of Business and Economics at Seattle University. She's been teaching and writing about business and technology and how they intersect with human rights and social justice for over 20 years. Her work's published in such journals as the Stanford Technology Law Review and American Business Law Journal. Eva has been rec recognized frequently for her innovative teaching. Teaching is Eva's passion and vocation. At Seattle University, she teaches undergraduates and graduate students in topics such as business law, negotiation skills, law and ethics in business, analytics, artificial intelligence. Eva is also a yoga teacher. She received her original Yoga Alliance certification after completing levels one and two with Baptiste Power Yoga Institute. In 2019, she stepped back into training and completed her 240 hours of trauma-informed yoga teacher training with Yoga More, a nonprofit organization in Maryland whose mission is to bring yoga and mindfulness practices as an adjunct therapy for communities in trauma. When she's visiting Maryland, Eva teaches power vinyasa classes at Yoga More's affiliated studio. She's a former yoga instructor in Seattle at Be Luminous and Shakti Vinyasa Yoga. Welcome, Eva. Thank you. Happy Thank you to be here. here. We're so happy to have you. And mm -hmm. I, I, as I was reading your bio, um, I just have so much that I would add just about how lovely and amazing <laughs> you are. And what just and what a force like just a force of goodness and also you know a, a force of inspiration for me i just i appreciate you so much i not only appreciate you being here but i appreciate just the role that you played in my life over the last year thank you oh my gosh you're so welcome it's my honor honestly i feel the same it's been a great it's been great to get to know each other more deeply you know, in this context since last year, because we were friends for, but more acquaintances. Yeah. So we were acquainted, but we were not friends, but now we're friends, which is wonderful. We are. Um, and and uh, how did, gosh, I guess how that really started was I got myself involved in all of this and um, I, I reached out to you for help and help you have done. <laughs> and um, so how about we start with sharing a little bit of your story with your involvement, your experience with Baptiste Yoga, because as, as mentioned in your bio, you have background there too. Yeah, I had, um, I did my training, my level one, my level two um, with uh, the Institute. And then I stayed actually, I was working, teaching at Shakti, teaching at Be Luminous, probably more Be Luminous at the time that I stepped in as an assistant for a training in upstate New York, which was a level one training. And, um, you know, between my completion of level two and, and that assisting volunteer as an assistant, um, I, you know, I'd gotten closer to Baron, like was friends with him, 
talked to him about his book projects and so forth. Felt like I think a lot of people who kind of get uh, enamored with uh, the Institute with him, like, you know, wow, this was really exciting and the messaging was really inspiring. And so I was very excited to be an assistant at level one. Um, stepping in, knowing him as I did, stepping in with some of my, one of my colleagues from Illuminus actually was there as an assistant as well, but for that one. And I arrived to assist um, in some challenging circumstances. One of my closest friends, her husband had killed himself a couple weeks prior. And I, I should have in some, in hindsight said, you know, I'm not really, I shouldn't go do this, but I was so excited to do it. And I thought it would actually kind of give me a break from the grief and the support that I was providing to my friends. So I, I did, I arrived. And when I arrived, you know, you kind of meet with the group and everyone says, well, how are we arriving? How, you know, getting ready to, for the uh, students to, to land the next day and start, red, you know, coming in. And I was very honest and transparent with Baron and with the group about what had happened to me. And I was told to get over it. And like, so I was, so that's how I started my experience as a volunteer assistant, having paid my way to get there, of course, not being paid to volunteer. And, um, you know, I did my best to put it aside and um, try to have an experience there. It was very challenging. But then towards the end of the program, Baron would ask different volunteers to teach. And at this point I was teaching at Be Luminous and I was, I was a very popular teacher. I taught Sunday mornings, 40 people in the class, you know, like, so it was a, um, I was confident in my teaching ability as a yoga teacher, but he called on me to teach the balancing sequence, which is the most boring thing in the world, right? <laughs> And, I, and he was very, like, no one would, he was not very kind to me while I was there because he just, I don't know, for whatever reason, like, whatever friendship we had, I think it ended when he knew that I was arriving under the circumstances I was arriving under my friend's uh, situation. I don't know. I can't speak to that. But I do know that it was very cold. Like, my the reception was very cold. So I was asked to do this, and I started to teach. And those of us who've been in this situation know that he likes to interrupt so he would interrupt mm -hmm. and he would um, berate me. And then he'd tell me to go again. And then he would interrupt and he would berate me. And then he would tell me to go again. And this went on. And it's like 150 people in the training. And I don't know, probably close to 200 people in the room. And ultimately he just said to me, you know what, just stop. You know, you were just all about yourself. I used to go by the name Gail. So he said, you know what? Just stop, Gail. You are just all about yourself. You are not here. You're just all about yourself in this. You have always been about yourself. And Ugh. in the shame of it all, <laughs> I hung my head low and I walked back to my mat at the back of the room and I curled up in a child's pose. Actually more like an embryo. Mm -hmm. And one of the older assistance, I remember this gentleman's name, just came over and put his hand on my back, you know, to like soothe me. And I should have left, but I didn't leave. You know, like, I'm like, I'm gonna finish what I started, I stayed. And when I left, um, 
you know, I sent him a note in Facebook because he loves to communicate that way. And I said, you know what you did was terrible because my boss, the owner of the studio was there and she said, what is going on? Like, I don't understand. And um, you, you, you need to like confront this, like whatever's going, like, so I did, I sent a note to him and I said, you do was awful. It's not, you know, you should never have done that to me. And, and then, he, oh, don't leave. Oh, stay in my life. And oh, don't, please don't run away. Come back, come to another training and da, 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 da. And I'm so sorry. And I was like, yeah, well, thank you for apologizing, but no, thank you. I'm done. So I did stay in the community. Um, I no longer reveal or promote myself as a Baptiste teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I promote myself as a Paravinyasa teacher who's, you know, very intentional on the spirit side of the practice um, and the self-help and self-care that it provides. But I don't use, I don't reference my training um, anymore because of what's happened. And then of course you called me and I knew, like I knew things were, I mean, I knew, we all knew. There were always rumors, things we heard about. Um, you know, I, I've been, but the studios that I worked at in Seattle, you know, the, the people knew, people would talk about it. People would ask about it. Should we affiliate? Should we not affiliate? Should we unaffiliate? Um, but no one ever did anything about it. And of course we have a lot of friends who stayed very much connected to that, that community. And went yeah. level three and then went to the, you know, the leadership piece, which by the way, I will say this as an academic, when I was a volunteer at level one, the person in charge of leadership training was maybe 23 years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a young man. <laughs> and I could not believe, and this is probably why Baron was really, cause he knew I stopped drinking the Kool-Aid. Like I was literally like, I wouldn't say anything, but I, I'm not very good at hiding my feelings. Um, on my face, right? I don't have the poker face thing. So I would be in these sessions about leadership training. And I, you know, of course I've taught in like world-class leadership program in higher education. And I'm watching this 23 year old try to be my, to teach me about leadership. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, Um, nothing's accredited. There's no regulation. Yeah. There's no, um, there's nothing, there's no compliance, there's no regulation, there's no accreditation. And everyone's just assuming that this person has the ability to be a leader trainer, a, you know, a, an educator of leadership. So, um, so then there was that, right? Like after level three, there was like a leadership program and everyone was going to that. And I just kept my mouth shut because I have friends in that community, I love them. If they wanna do that, that's fine. Um, everyone's personal choice. Um, but I had really disconnected myself, right? So ultimately I was not teaching at either one of those studios. Yeah. Um, but not, you know, just because it was time for me to move on and I had enough um, and I was moving around and doing different things. So when you called and texted me and said, I need to talk to you. And I thought I had no idea, you know? And then when we started talking and you told me what was happening, you know, the, the advocate in me, the lawyer in me, you know, um, professionally, you know, I went to law school actually so that I could advocate for women's rights. That's what got me to law school. Mm -hmm. And I thought that if I had a law degree, people would listen to me in my, you know, 22 year old brain. Um, And in some respects it's true, you know, because I have credibility and I certainly have the training and and the knowledge. 
Um, but it's, it's definitely a calling to me, you know, when someone tells me that there's a group of women who have been harmed and now I know about it and I really understand it because I was sort of immersed in the community. Um, it's, you know, professionally and personally very, um, you know, something that is very much uh, something that we want to be involved with, right? So it was an easy thing to say, yes, what can I do to help uh, with this effort? And we've done a lot. Right, we've made some videos. Mm -hmm. We have uh, we have found counsel willing to take plaintiffs' claims and to represent the plaintiffs in the event that moves forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that those two women will be um, in the future on your show with you and in this podcast, and you'll be talking to them about that. Yes. Um, there's a lot going on, and the exciting thing is that every single person involved is a woman, and I think that that's very powerful as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it is, it is. So. See, um, you, where do I want to start? Um, can I just say, I think, I think we were at level two together. I think we were too. And I don't yeah. know, were you, were you in level two or were you assisting level two? I was in level two. You were in level two. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think that's where we first saw. I know we saw each other somewhere else though too. And I can't remember where it was. Yeah. I can't remember other than that, but I was like, I, I'm like, I remember you from level 10 I and mean, that was what, 2008. So yes. yeah. a long time ago, but yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how the time yeah. goes, but yeah. Yeah. I yet here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yet here we are and i'm so excited to be here with you both um so eva you mentioned um women as plaintiffs yeah um can you explain that and um like what types of plaintiffs there might be and what types of things may arise out of this yeah so it's the first thing it's uh, you know this the legal term plaintiff is the posture of the person who's been harmed, right? Okay. So the way with all the various factual scenarios that are involved in this, and there are so many variations of um, abuse um, and shame and so forth, but there's different stories, different context. But if you try to organize them and you say of all these stories, you know, from the perspective of the harm that was done to the women, mm -hmm. what legal, claims would they have against um, Barron and the Institute? Sometimes just Barron, sometimes both. Um, and so that's that's really the first place that I'm looking to see like, okay, if I, if I take all these stories and I'm trying to find some common themes, then as plaintiffs, as those who have been injured, who have a right to, would have a right to sue for a remedy, which is typically money damages, mm -hmm or it could be a court order, like a restraining order or an injunction. Um, the posture is that these are these women stand in that place of um, the plaintiff, right? They, they would be bringing, in the event they were to follow through with their claims, their rights, they would be the ones pursuing that cause of action against Barron, who would be a defendant and the Institute as defendant. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is looking at, based on other stories, you know, taking those stories and putting um, the group of women in the place of defendants where they have been, for example, threatened with lawsuits um, 
mostly as as it relates to uh, the you know alleged defamation. We can talk mm -hmm. about that. Um, but interestingly, the plaintiffs also have a claim of defamation against him. Um, and then also with respect in defense as a defendant who signed a non-disclosure agreement, you know, if there was a claim of breach of that contract. Mm -hmm. Right. So we, so that's so so those are really like if you take the two, if you organize these things by that in that way, you can see what the plaintiffs could possibly claim. Again, circumstances depending on each individual or group of individuals in similar situations, and then as possible defendants. And I think that the, the defense side is what scares women the most. It's what scares mm -hmm. all of us the most. If you're not an yeah. attorney and someone says they're going to sue you, and I've seen this happen years and years ago, um, there's a hot power studio in the Seattle area. It was very much a bully for every other studio that was coming up. And the owner of the studio, um, one of her former students, wanted to open a quote unquote hot power yoga studio. And she sent him a cease and desist letter saying, you can't do that. I own the trademark for hot power yoga, which is of course a total joke because no one can own hot power yoga. It's a generic descriptive term, right? Yeah. But this, this guy, like, of course he gets the letter and he's scared because we were all scared. If someone says, oh my gosh, I'm going to sue you, especially if you get a formal letter from an attorney, yeah. then the first thing you think of is I don't have the money. And I don't want to do this and I'm scared. And so the, the point of understanding all of this is really to take the fear out of it. Yeah. Um, but also understanding, you know, like that, of course, if you're, if someone says they're going to sue you, you're going to be concerned. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? And you kind of chatted with us offline about it, but how cease and desist have been, you know, are typically used as a, a bullying tactic. And it's not yeah. just happened with Barron and the Institute. There's been some other people who were involved in affiliate studios and started speaking out about almost the exact same abuses at their studios mm -hmm. and were also hit with cease and desists. So I think it'd be really good for, and I've talked to a lot of other people who are really afraid to speak up mm -hmm. because they've heard that people have gotten cease and desist and they just could, so could you maybe? Yeah, absolutely. And so let's start with the defendant side, right? That's a good place to start. So let's imagine that you're in this place where you've been, um, you know, um, you've received a cease and desist letter. The cease and desist letter, it's going to depend on, um, basically it's stop talking, right? It's a way to silence you. But the essence of the claim, like the basis for that, could be two things. It could be just straight up, I think you're telling lies and that's defamation. So you need to cease and desist. Mm -hmm. Or it could be, and or it could be, you need to stop talking because this is defamation in my opinion. And you've also signed a non-disclosure agreement. Okay, so not every person who um, may have been threatened with a cease and desist has signed a non-disclosure agreement. Right. So in that in that event, they could only the threats are I'm going to sue you for defamation because you're speaking about something that is not true. This is the, the allegation and it's harming my reputation. Mm -hmm. Now, in the case and in, the, in these cases. There's so much strength in the position of these defendants, right? The studio owners or the women who have been threatened because First and foremost, defamation is part of um, 
free speech, right? And we protect our free speech like very strongly in this country. We're very, very serious mm -hmm. about our free speech. Yeah. If, but defamation, if, it's, if it is in fact defamation, it's not protected speech, but defamation by its definition is an untrue statement of fact. Yeah. So if you are speaking truth, then you are not defaming anybody. Thank you. And if you are speaking opinion, then you are not defaming anyone. And this is where it gets very curious. What's factual is, is you know, fact or not fact, right? It's a fact. It's either true or it's not true. It's a fact that I was publicly shamed by Barron at level one when I was an assistant, mm -hmm. right? And it was very public. There were almost 200 people in the room. And the way he was speaking to me was harming my reputation. And in fact, it did harm my reputation because when I came back to Seattle, there was all a buzz about what mm. a bad, selfish, narcissistic teacher I was, which of course is not true. Right. right? So the statement has to be fact and it has to be untrue in order to count as defamation. So everything that we are, the women are saying now, as it, the owners are saying, when they're saying this happened to me, that's not defamation. Or if Baron said, I'm going to sue you, you know, Eva, for defamation. Okay. I've got 200 witnesses that were there mm -hmm. <laughs> when you did this. And so I'm speaking truth. Mm -hmm. um, it's a factual statement of truth. Now, the opinion piece is interesting, too, because courts are really, um, even if you call someone a racist, there are cases that digress and diverge on this. Some courts might think that might be a statement of fact, but many think it's a statement of opinion. So if I call somebody a racist, that's not defamation necessarily. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. Um, and so that's not defamation, right? I'm entitled right. to my opinion and to speak my opinion. So first thing, it has to be an untrue statement of fact. It can't be um, truth and it can't be an opinion. Second thing here, the person who has been defamed allegedly is a public figure, which means that it's right. harder to win those cases because he has to prove malice, which means the speaker is speaking with reckless disregard as to its truth or falsity. Mm. So it's not just carelessness. You know, you have to show the person's actually like reckless, like they knew or should have known that what they were saying was an untrue statement of fact. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So very hard, which is why we see celebrities very rarely sue for defamation, right? Because yeah. it's Can not you imagine like Tom Cruise trying to sue everybody who yeah. talks shit about his movies or his acting? Yeah. <laughs> right. Or his membership in the whatever that Scientology. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So you know they're selective. Sometimes they do, but they're very selective. It's when they're really like there's something really that bothers them that's it's really, you know, aggravated and, and offensive to them. But for the most part, it's just so hard because they're public figures and you have to show this reckless disregard um, as to the truth or falsity of the statement. So, so those are the, and, and then of course you have to show um, damage to reputation. So, because you can, you know, for every claim like this, you have to show harm. If you can't show harm, then you, um, reputational harm in this context, then you can't, you don't have a claim. So, but even before you get to that, I mean, it's a very, if, if everyone here is speaking truth or, is, or has their opinion as they are entitled to it, that's not defamation. And it's just being used, it's a, it's a bully tactic. It's very, and it's, it's used a, a lot, right? Very, in recent years, we've seen this with Trump. We've seen it with Trump's, you know, um, 
posse, like they're all threatening defamation all the time. And um, it's just to make you shut up. We had a plan. We had a, a plan. We had a plan if I got one and it was for me to share it because it's, you know, I, I, I knew that I hadn't said anything that wasn't true, that I, that I hadn't, you know, said anything that wasn't my experience or even my opinion. And so this letter that said not to show it to anybody, of course, first person I showed it to, this letter that said, don't show it to anybody. It's like, go scream from the rooftops about this. And so that's what I did. And I hope that, um, and that was scary. To, that was really scary to do, by the way, to like get one of those letters and, and go scream about it. But then nothing, you know, just cricket. Well, you know, what's interesting too. Here's what's so ironic. I saw that letter. This is long, long letter from the, from council. And at the end, it does say, don't show it to anyone. Well, what? what person would be threatened with a lawsuit and not show it to their own counsel right. or to somebody who supports them. So the fact that that person said, don't show this to anyone is like, what? Like, are you, is this, are you serious? Like, is this really in this letter? It was just kind of funny actually to me that that was included. And it just, and that's how you knew, right? That's how you knew, like, I'm just, I'm just going to scare you. Shelly, I'm just, I'm just want to, I just want you to shut up yeah. um, because of course you would, you would share it with your, if in fact it happened, you would have to share it with counsel. Right. So, um, you know, so, so that's, those are the basic defamation case cases. Again, no non-disclosure agreement, just somebody talking who's not signed any contractual obligation to not share. The other group of people who have signed non-disclosure agreements, and there are, I think, um, not, you know, I think there are some, right, that have signed as a volunteer. I never did. Um, that they weren't using those then. So, but some have signed as a volunteer or independent contractor an agreement that says, um, I will not share. And usually non-disclosure agreements are meant to protect trade secrets that a company has. Mm -hmm. And when they are meant for that purpose, they are enforceable because employees are privy to confidential information that if it gets leaked out could harm the company's bottom line. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And even in that case, there are a lot of states that don't like them, right? Um, certainly not the, the, the non-compete part. Sometimes there's a non-competition component to them. But the use of NDAs to silence victims of harassment, bullying, sexual abuse, harassment. You know, we see this in the context of the Me Too movement when they were used in settlements. Um, in these cases, they are, they've been used in connection with a volunteer arrangement or an independent contractor arrangement. And so it, it, there's a lot of different aspects that become important. In general, non-disclosure agreements are enforceable if they're legitimate and if they are restricted in scope. So a non-disclosure agreement that says you will never, ever, ever share any of this information that's personally about this person or disparage them. And this is binding on your heirs and your descendants and so forth. That is exceeding the scope. Right, you mm -hmm. can't have this agreement that goes on and on. Like Trump used um, a non-disclosure, non-disparagement agreement with his volunteers. 
in his campaign and it said it's been invalidated. It basically said, you will never tell anyone or say anything bad about me, my family, my anyone, anyone I know, my friends, and this is forever and ever and ever. And the courts were like, that's a joke. <laughs> it's like, you can't do that, right? You, yeah. can't, you can't silence people that way. So this general, it has to be limited in scope and it's gotta be like legitimate things that are in there, right? About that are, mm-hmm. um, there's a reason why they should be confidential. There's that. Then there's um, concerns about the timing and the contractual nature, if it in fact is contractually binding. For example, if somebody is presented with a non-disclosure agreement, I'm like, I'll make up a hypothetical, right? Completely non-related to an independent contractor or a volunteer or, <clears throat> excuse me, an employee. Let's say it's just a person, hypothetically, who has a sexual relationship with another person. And after they've had sexual relations, the agent for the man presents this woman with a non-disclosure agreement. And she signs it in disbelief, doesn't even know what it is, you know, just, okay, signs it. Well, for one, that might not even be contractual because you have to get something in exchange for your promise not to talk. Mm -hmm. So if you are signing a settlement agreement, if you're suing somebody for sexual harassment or you threaten them with a suit for sexual harassment, like in the Me Too movement, and then you sign a settlement agreement that says, I won't share anything about my story in exchange for this much money. There's consideration. That's a bargain because a bargain for exchange. The woman is gonna get money in exchange for her silence, right? She's getting something and the other side is getting something. But if somebody signs an agreement in the context of, you know, like just after having that relationship, there's no consideration for her promise to be silent. There's no, it's not enforceable. That contract is not enforceable. Hmm. So if that's the case, right? Now, if it's the case that it's a volunteer, it's kind of similar. Let's think about this. If I'm a volunteer and I'm not getting paid, what am I getting in consideration for my promise not to talk? Nothing. Nothing. There's no consideration. I'm not getting paid. There's not a promise of future employment. The way these are used in the most manipulative way in a sexual harassment context is by employers. The day that you start your job, you are in fact an employee, not an independent contractor or a volunteer, and you sign an agreement that includes your promise not to talk in the event there is future disputes with the way you were treated at work. Mm-hmm. And now the states and the courts are saying these are problematic. It's like the Me Too movement because yes, the person who signed it promised in exchange for the job consideration. However, if she does stay silent, then as a matter of public concern, that's enabling the company to continue to perpetuate sexual harassment or harassment on the basis of race to others in the workplace. Hmm. So those are contractually probably enforceable unless there's some other you know, defense. There are some other things like unconscionability and we can talk about that, but public policy might be a defense. But if, if you know, so that's where this has come up in the sexual harassment context, but again, as a contract itself, those are, they have all the elements of a basic contract because they have a mutual agreement and they have an exchange of value. But if you're a volunteer or you're just someone who knew somebody and you had sex with that person and then you agreed not to tell anyone about it, 
and you sign a non-disclosure agreement, you did not get consideration for your promise to do that, which means the person can't enforce it against you. Yeah. And even if people can't enforce these things against you, is there anything now in place to stop them from doing like scary cease and desists and lawsuits and things like that when? Yeah. Yeah. So um, in the context of being sued, yes, for defamation, there are some states that have passed something called an anti-SLAP statute. And SLAP stands for Strategic Litigation Against Public Participation. Mm -hmm. So basically, these statutes that states passed were passed in recognition of this tactic of threatening to sue you for defamation non-disclosure agreement or not. Now the non-disclosure agreement, put that aside because that's a contractual obligation, right? So we have to look at that separately. But if it's straight up defamation, then an anti-slap statute, basically, if it applies, and every state has different nuances, um, it allows you to make an early motion to dismiss because it's frivolous, it's fake, it's meant to bully, and you get your attorney's fees. So I've We've seen companies like nonprofits who expose big oil drilling, environmental hazard companies like destroying the planet. There's been cases where those companies have won um, their case that they've defended their defamation cases by using an anti-slap statute, gotten their legal fees, gotten the case dismissed really early. In the context of these sexual abuse, manipulation, harassment, mental anguish cases. Um, now, I don't know of any that have been, that have actually come up in the courts yet because it's so new. Mm -hmm. But I will say that even if you are, even if that, if so let's just think about the, also the possibility that the suit would even happen, okay? De defamation case or NDA. Defamation case, no NDA. The person who sues, if, if the Institute was serious and they wanted to sue, I'm just gonna use you Shelly as an example, they wanted to sue you, they have to bring that case in court, in public, which means everybody is going to know. Mm -hmm. And are you gonna need counsel? Yes, you're gonna need counsel. Are you gonna get your attorney fees? Yes, you probably will because it's a frivolous lawsuit, right? It is meant to harm and to, um, harass the suit itself, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you when just in the general nature of law, you, if you sue somebody on a baseless claim, you're not gonna get away with that because that's frivolous and you're gonna get your attorney's fees. Now, of course, that means you still have to go through it. Right. Um, there's also the possibility of getting pro bono counsel, right? We've, we've already kind of lined up people in that department as well. Yeah. But the, the reality is that it would be public. And would this person risk the public display? Mm. And, and what happens, the discovery and all the things that come out because it's like Pandora's box. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the Me Too movement that way. Like, okay, now everyone, oh my gosh, like, you know, it's all going to come out. Even if you signed an NDA, here's the other thing. So let's say, okay, Shelly, we're also going to sue you for, um, you signed an NDA breach of the contract. And you were actually an independent contractor or an employee. And so you got employment in exchange. So you don't have this defense of there was no consideration. You may have a defense of that it's unconscionable. You may have a defense that it's against public policy. 
right? Those are all legitimate and arguable defenses. Um, but the truth is, is that again, it would have to be in a court unless it has an arbitration clause. And it seems like those are missing in a lot of these NDAs. For example, an, an arbitration clause says, not only do you promise not to talk, but if you do talk, I'm gonna sue you in a private litigation environment. Arbitration is a private way mm -hmm. to resolve disputes mm -hmm. and it's binding, it's not appealable, it's confidential and employers love them because they get to keep their dirty laundry hidden. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have an arbitration clause in the NDA, then you can't arbitrate the claim and you have to file publicly against the person that you say breached the NDA. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So totally. every, everything that's, that's stated that's true is public record and everybody can read it. Yes, exactly. And so for some of us, we may be, we may be concerned about, oh my God, I got to pay a lawyer and I got to, and, and, and you know, and I'm not, I'm not just missing those concerns at all, but understand that the person in this context who might be suing should also be concerned legitimately with the reputation and what the re revelation of all of the things that have happened, you know, for over a decade, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, you may be nervous about that, but know that the fear, while understandable, it might never happen because the person would have to bring a very public claim against you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for well, and now like, you know, multiple people. So I yeah. don't know who would want to, you know, try to sue people in many different states. Yeah. And the thing is, it's so interesting too, because when we were talking originally, we were looking for pro bono counsel. I mean, we do have a couple law firms, big law firms, right? Very interested. In plaintiff's counsel side that are going to be on this podcast later, um, firms that we've talked to who have been very strong, strong pro bono groups, meaning they take on cases for free. Mm -hmm. And this case is very interesting because it involves so many people in so many different places. And it involves, you know, very new up and coming current litigation, like precedent setting cases. Yeah. Well, and right. similar to like the Keith Ranieri case, right? Like mm -hmm. in that way where they've really done a whole, they've made a big difference in proving coercion and other things. And like, I see similarities in that when I really read and listen into mm -hmm. information about that, it's, there's so many similarities of, you know, coercion and fraud in certain ways and stuff like that yes yeah and so that's the other thing so there's you know there's other um there's other things that would again circumstances depending you know in the context of signing an nda if and this is this is harder in in contracts than it is in torts and we'll talk about the plaintiff's claims next you might say well the person really didn't have um, the legal capacity to understand what was happening at the time that they signed the agreement. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not an easy argument to prove. It's usually things like you're intoxicated or you are um, so mentally um, sort of out of it that you, you know, you didn't understand what was happening. 
But when we start to think of these novel theories in law about what it really means to understand what you're doing mm -hmm. yeah. and consenting, and you are in a space where you are in a cultish environment. And there's a, again, this is why this is so cutting edge, you know, like there are lawyers who would actually probably love to litigate it because let's, you know, let's argue about the mental state of the person signing the agreement when they signed it. You know, mm -hmm. can we actually say that person had legal capacity to understand what they were agreeing to, right? And then even if they lose that argument, you know, this idea of, um, you know, what we call unconscionability, which is extreme unfairness, mm. pr procedural unfairness, substantive unfairness, procedurally person of power in a, in a power differential, um, taking advantage of that to have the person sign the agreement, right? And again, mm. substantively, it's so broad in its scope and what you can say or can't say or can do or can't do that it's just so unfair for one mm. side that the court is like, yeah, well, no, we're not, we're not gonna enforce this. Or the public policy argument that, um, you know, if this person, if this happens, this person, you know, what, what are we saying? We're basically silencing not just one person, but we're silencing many people and it's right. enabling a, something to continue that is against public policy, against the public interest. Mm -hmm. So these are all possibilities, right? And again, they're very novel. Um, it's interesting, there's been more done in the context of sexual harassment with NDAs, states have passed laws that say you can't, you cannot have an NDA to hide mm. sexual harassment anymore. There's 12 states, different, different, different things that they're restricting with NDAs. The federal, there's something in front of Congress called the Empower Act that um, has not been passed yet. But again, it was these these were reactions to the Me Too movement, right? Mm. In an employment context, and so they only protect employees. So if you are an independent contractor, this would not apply to you. If you are a volunteer, this would not apply to you. But if you were in fact an employee of the Institute, for example, then it would apply to you. You know, mm -hmm. these state laws could apply to you. If the government, federal government passes the Empower Act, it would apply to you. And the Empower Act says, you know, you can't use non-disclosure agreements to prevent the forthcoming disclosure of harassment in the workplace on the basis of sex or race. Um, and, you know, it actually affects the tax code as well. You can no longer deduct the cost of litigation employer from your taxes. And mm. if, the, if the plaintiff wins, you know, then, then that person actually doesn't have to claim that as income on their tax return. Like, so there's all kinds of things that are in this Empower Act as it was, as it's been, you know, it's still, I'm not saying that those provisions are going to stick, right? But that's how it, it, it reads now. So, but again, very specific context for sexual harassment cases where you've got somebody wanting to talk about the harassment who is silenced by a non-disclosure agreement. So yeah, so there's, so those are all defense, like these are all looking at this, these possible scenarios from the place of defendant, right? I'm mm -hmm. a defendant, I shouldn't be a defendant, I'm actually a victim mm -hmm. and I am being made a defendant by a bully. Mm -hmm. and an organization mm -hmm. that is trying to get me to be quiet. So that's that's what we're looking at. If you look on the other side, you see these same people looking at what happened to them from the context of themselves getting re relief, right, and remedies. And I think that's largely not happening in this group 
um, because the intention was not to do that. The intention was to heal, right? The intention was to come together and to share and to heal um, from a continuum of abuses that were, you know, public shaming unrelated to um, relationship to sexual relationships and what we would call sexual battery in tort law, um, sexual battery, sexual assault. Um, again, this question of consent for those cases will come up. So if somebody was in that relationship, you know, was there consent? There's some real arguments today about what that consent really means. What, what, right. is, what is meaningful consent? And if somebody, for example, California Civil Code has protections in the context of a therapist, they call it um, therapeutic deception. I love that. Therapeutic deception, when a therapist and a patient have sexual relations, you know, that the, basically what the law does is it recognizes that the person, the patient in that context is in a very vulnerable place right. and they, they can't really consent, right? This isn't about minors. This is just about an adult person who is the patient of a therapist is in a vulnerable place. And so the law says, no. You know, that is not consent. And that is so similar to what we're talking about here. Yes, you can see there's a lot of interesting parallels. Um, yeah. And sitting on like sort of the forefront of, of the creation of law that's meant to protect women in these situations. Um, so yeah, so there's that. There's of course the, the possibility that you, you could sue him also for defamation if he's, you know, publicly shamed you at, at work, at a, event or the program. Um, I, you know, I know I was not the only one that that happened to. So many times. <laughs> oh my God, so many times. There's so many, there's hundreds of us. <laughs> so, you know, when I share, when I've shared this story with the pro bono counsel of the firm that I talked to here in um, Washington state, um, and the reason I found my way to this law firm is because, and they're a national law firm, they're huge. And they had one of their partners had written an article um, for the ACLU about the anti-slap statutes, mm. right? So I'm like, I'm reading this article and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I know that firm. I'm like, I know, I'm like, I'm gonna just call this guy. He answered the phone. He actually answered the phone. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, I, you know, and, and I actually know people who work at that firm. So, um, and it's just an interesting, you know, cause I've, I've, I've been here for a long time in this area. So I, I just know a lot of people that practice law here. So, you know, there's, but when you tell the story and you tell about how many people have been, have had these experiences, right? This continuum of experiences and you, and the shock, like if you could see these people's faces, like in these Zoom meetings of like, what, you know, and I'm, we're, I'm sharing, you know, I'm sharing general stories, right? right? Because that's all I can share. I'm not anyone's lawyer. I'm just, I'm acting as a liaison to try to find counsel in the event um, there were to be a need for a call for defense, right? In the, in the mm -hmm. event, anyone would need to have defense counsel. Um, again, different from the plaintiff's counsel who are gonna be coming on talking about different federal laws that have been passed that protect women who have been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one small, that's one part of this larger group, right? Um, but it's just, it's um, when you start to recognize the numbers of people, they're just, you know, they're yeah, you know, like, wow, like you can't make this up. Yeah. You can't make this up. 
So, so yeah, so from the plaintiff's perspective, there's also torts called like the intentional infliction of emotional distress, intentionally causing harm and distress, mental anguish to somebody. There's also a negligence version of that. Um, now these all have statutes of limitation, like three, usually three years. So, mm. you know, for me, this is many years ago when this happened to me. So I would be, I would be beyond my statute at this point and that doesn't matter, but there's some people that are very much currently in the space, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So again, these yeah. are all just potential legal claims, you know, that people could have. And so I just want, it's important that people recognize that they're not just defending themselves, right? right. That they have, that they can stand up for themselves and they can, you know, yes, it is scary, but you know, know that you also have rights. Like you're not just, you're not just like defending yourself from some, you know, um, frivolous bullying tactic we too have our own rights and mm -hmm. and it's really important that we understand that whether we want to exercise them or not um we have them you know mm -hmm. so you know hopefully that makes people feel a little bit more confident i i'd say this with my you know i, I teach very young people and it's um one of my goals is to help them become advocates for themselves mm -hmm. and it's it's not something we're taught no. Right? We're not taught that in school, right? We're not taught about boundaries. We're not taught about advocacy, self-advocacy. And so some people are naturally like this, but most people are not. And so they just kind of retreat and um, want to make it go away, um, mm -hmm. and which is totally understandable because this stuff yeah. is hard. It's really hard. And sexual harassment lawsuits, if you've got employees of the Institute that wanted to sue on that basis, or some of these affiliate studios that have been, you know, harassed, sexually harassed, bullied, and so forth. These are not, you know, they're not for the, um, the, the faint of heart, so to speak, right? Like it, it's, and that's why the support is so important. And that's why this community is so important. Because if a, if a woman is doing that on her own without community, it's very hard. If a woman is yeah. doing that with community, nothing's going to stop her. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to stop her. No. True. Wow. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if there were any other claims that I had on my little um, like list of things. Um, I don't oh, gosh. So. There's one other thing. And I will say this too. This is interesting to me. I know that there were a lot of um, people who were participating in the programs that were designing curriculum. Yes. Yeah. Us. And they were, Us. Yeah, Rachel, Melissa, and myself included. Yeah. And you were not necessarily compensated for that. Um, no. No, not, not necessarily. We were not compensated. Okay. So, like, there's questions here. So, like, if somebody is creating um, curriculum, curriculum is copyrighted material. Yeah. And if somebody takes your curriculum or takes your copyrighted material and doesn't pay you for it, that's an infringement. So there's all kinds of interesting intellectual property issues that come up here too. Like, um, you know, who wrote the curriculum? Who wrote the book? Was it a work for hire? Like if an employee, as an employee of Seattle University, if I create curriculum for Seattle University, then um, that's a work for hire. Meaning I'm, that's my job. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't retain an independent license for that. When I created a course from Microsoft, I signed over my license because they knew that I was creating something that I could 
continue to charge them for, right? So rather than pay me a license, they paid me like a one-time fee for that curriculum. But when you're talking about this, all these programs and all this curriculum and all this, like, that's a really interesting question about, you know, is this an infringement? It's definitely, you know, taking your intellectual property, Mm -hmm. your intellectual capacity and creativity. And, you know, that's, that's just, that's just one other possibility that comes out of these um, situations, like to think about. Yeah. So much to think about. Mm -hmm. And again, not to say anyone's going to do anything about it, but know that you've got that right and know that you're, you're in community and know that you've got the support that you're not alone. And if you, if you choose not to do anything about it, okay, but know that you have that right to, and also, Mm -hmm. um, so that then if you are concerned on the other side, you know, like, oh my gosh, I might get sued as a defendant. Same thing. You are in community. Nobody is going to leave you alone. They're not going to let you stand there alone and not support you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's just that, you know, that's, that's what the purpose of this community really is. Right. Um, in any way, whether it's just listening or hugging or, um, being present for, um, or helping find lawyers for, you know, whatever the skill set is. Um, and then again, like, I'll just leave this with this, that this possibility of, of, um, sexual abuse in all these different forms. And then these, these other attorneys, you know, we did manage to find, we found counsel who do this work, right? Mm-hmm. This is what these women do. They used to be um, federal criminal prosecutors and they decided they wanted to start a firm to chase after bad men who harm women um, and to remedy, there's federal law that allows for a civil remedy. And they can, they're gonna talk all about that when they come on um, and explain what that's all about and how it actually can be done anonymously. So it's very curious. This is an area of law I did not know anything about. Um, wow. We we worked really hard to find, you know, we eventually found these women and, whew, you know, it was a journey to find them, but very grateful that we did and that they are committed to helping um, mm-hmm. in the event anyone wants them to help. So you know, there's, again, that's like a whole other area of law that is beyond my expertise, but um, that they can share and, and talk about with you all. Thank you for find, for finding them and for sharing them with us. Yeah, yeah. that was a story too, as a former student, a former student of mine who is a, still, you know, I'm still her mentor. We're, we're close. We happened to have lunch and I was telling her, you know, hypothetically, like this is, I'm working on this, you know, I'm working on this matter. She had worked for a lawyer in Seattle as a clerk, who's an independent, um, like a small firm. And the woman does a ton of pro bono work in the trafficking area. Mm. And she said, I think that, I think the woman I used to work for might know somebody that can help. And it was that student that connected me to her former boss. I reached out to her. She within hours had me with these other women. Wow. That's so So, cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, no accidents. I'm just, I was super grateful. And Shelly and I have talked to them and, um, you know, I think we're both really happy with them. Mm. So, yeah, I'm very, very excited to have them here. And also very excited to have you here, Eva, because you've been, I mean, 
I'm just cheering you on over and over, but I know, I know the videos that I saw that you did on Instagram, um, just being out here educating and helping, um, mm -hmm. I, I know has not only been supportive and helpful for me, but, but so many, so many, yeah. thank you. I know, I know doing this work and supporting the community in this way means a lot to you and, um, thank you. No, it does. And that's what I said. I think education goes so far. It's such an important part of this. It just takes a lot of the, the fear away, right? Yeah. Oh, now mm -hmm. I understand something. You know, um, you know, if I could, I would be taking on the clients. I don't practice law that way, right? But I'm an educator and this is what I do for a living. And I'm happy to, to share my energy in that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how can I help? This is what I can bring to this community right now. And um, I'm really thrilled to do it. It's it's to me, it it actually gets me back to the original calling. Why did I go to law school? Cool. Right? Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be involved, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, thank so you guys. Thank you, Eva. You're welcome. It's, it's so good to see you, Rachel. You too. Good talking you to too. you both. I'll see you soon. Thank okay. you guys. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Bye.